Happy Easter, family. It's a good day to be a part of the family of God, and I'm so glad that you're with us. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here at Clear Creek. And so if this is your first time or you're a part of the family for many years, welcome, welcome, welcome. One of the traditions throughout church history is on Easter Sunday in particular, there's a phrase that will be said back and then forth, and it's simply this. One will say, He is risen, and then the rest of the church will respond with, He is risen indeed. And so this morning as we gather, not simply brothers and sisters around the world, but yes, those who have already gone to be with Christ and are with Him now in heaven around His throne, would you declare this truth with me in response? He is risen, he is risen indeed. And the whole church said, Amen. Amen. Before we get into today's lesson, just a quick reminder, next Sunday we're going to begin a new teaching, four weeks, on what happens when you die. I've been asked some questions for the past couple of years in particular about heaven, hell, the afterlife, and starting next Sunday we're going to dive deep into what the Bible teaches, as well as exploring what are our options among the cultural views. And so I invite you to join us starting next week. I pray it will be both Enlightening, but also very encouraging as we dive into the reality that each one of us will one day face. And so, that'll begin next Sunday. Many of you are familiar with the name Chuck Colson. Before we put it up on screen, how many of you know that name? Just, just curious. For the rest of us, Chuck Colson was the lawyer to President Richard Nixon. He was also one of the seven who uh, broke in at the Watergate building, was Uh, As a result, he was put on trial. He was sentenced to about seven months in prison for that. But God did something amazing in his life. While Chuck Colson was imprisoned, he came to faith, but not just in some sort of tepid way. It was a radical, radical conversion story, so much so that he began to share his faith with others, and thus was born what was called and is called Prison Fellowship. It's a ministry to reach people who are incarcerated with the good news of Jesus Christ. It grew so rapidly that it changed from Prison Fellowship to Prison Fellowship International within just a few years of its start. And at this point, hundreds of thousands of people have come to faith in Jesus Christ because of it. A few years ago, Chuck Colson went home to be with our Lord, but before that, he made a statement I want to read this morning about Easter Sunday. This is what he says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. And so welcome. As together today we celebrate the impossible that the good God of creation stepped into His creation, saving us from Satan, sin, and death. I've told you before, I'll tell you again, the gospel, the good news of the gospel is not that you through your effort can get to God, but that God through Christ Jesus has come to you. And He is here with you this morning, not on a cross, but in our presence. You may not see Him, but be affirmed. Jesus 
is here and he is risen. And so we celebrate that today. And today we finish, as we come to this moment, we finish our seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. We've been looking at the seven statements he makes before he dies. And today we read the seventh and final one. And I believe it is more apropos than you may realize. The seventh statement comes from John's account of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection in chapter 19, beginning in verse 30, it says this. And would you stand with me as we hear the words of our Lord this morning? When Jesus had received the drink, he said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished, church. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Would you bow your head with me and pray? Father God, in this moment of celebration, we remember the horror of the cross, but the hope that it brings, because in this moment, Christ did not simply utter a statement. He was declaring the truth that what we owed was paid in full. It is finished. May we receive that truth wherever we are this morning, and may the truth of Scripture trump the truth that we feel in our hearts when we feel judged, when we feel condemned. May we remember what Jesus promised is true. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all those who agreed said, and all those who agreed said, you may be seated. All right, that's it. As Jesus' last statement on the cross, we have recited what he went through those six hours of torture on the cross and the hours before of torture. And now he is at the finish line. He is bleeding to death. His collarbone is collapsing in on his windpipe and he is suffocating to death. And so in this last moment, he cries out, it is finished. And then he breathes his last. Now, some will say that this statement, it is finished, is a cry of victory. And perhaps there is something to that, but I'm not 100% sure that that is all this is. If you read the context of what has just happened, you hear the sound of an exhausted runner seeing his last hundred yards kicking with all of his might to thrust his chest through the finish tape. And he says, it is finished. It is over. My race is won. It is finished. Now the fact is, everyone at the foot of the cross misunderstood what he was saying. They assumed he was saying something he didn't mean. For those who followed Christ, they thought he was giving up. For those who had put him on the cross, who had gone to the authorities who had brought false charges against him before the religious leaders, to those they thought... You're right, it is finished. This mistaken Messiah, this one-man rabble-rouser, his ministry is over and the days of his headaches are gone. You're right, it is finished. But friends, do you notice, Jesus does not say, I am finished. He says, it is finished. Well, what is finished? (laughs) What? What God had been planning since before time began in this moment comes to a close. 
The moment that God, knowing as He put creation into place that we, His children, would rebel and sin against Him, He knew, as Scripture says, before time began, what He would do to restore us to Himself. God, when Adam and Eve sinned, made this plan. From the moment that Christ Jesus, the moment that God spoke and asked the question to Adam, where are you? God began this plan. And this plan would stretch through time and across space. And it would come to this very moment when he would finally say, everything is done. It is finished. What is finished? Well, all the promises of God. The promise God brought to sin-soaked Adam and Eve in that moment of shame where they were naked, and He said to them, I will send one who will crush the very head of evil, and the shame you feel, I will cover you in my righteousness. He keeps His promises. What is finished? The promise that God said He would send this gracious, conquering King who would come from the line of Judah, whose rule would never end no matter who was elected in America or who wasn't elected, or whatever happened, He would come, He would rule, He would reign, because God keeps His promises and it is now finished. And the promise that God made that this king would be a high priest offering a sacrifice because someone has to die for sin. Something has to take away that guilt. And He promised I will send a king who will be the high priest administering the sacrifice so that you do not have to die in your sin. It is finished. And finally, this is not simply a king who will administer the sacrifice, but he himself will lay on the altar as the sacrifice. It is finished. Everything God planned to do is now finished in the life of Jesus. It is finished in the death of Jesus. And today we celebrate that it is finished in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is our victory, my family and my friends. It is finished. Amen? But listen, the reality is it doesn't often feel finished to us, does it? (laughs) Let's do it this way. Show of hands. Just, Just raise your hand if... When looking out in our culture, when looking out in the headline news or around the world, raise your hand if you feel like things don't feel quite finished yet. Anyone else? Yet something's going on here. So what is it that he is talking about? In fact, sometimes it feels like we haven't even started. Almost like we're living in this never-ending cycle of Groundhog's Day. Yes, Bill Murray's reference comes in handy here again. That we're doing this thing over and over again. Things get better and then they get worse. They get better then they get worse. And even, not just out there, but in here. Have you ever found this sense of frustration because you keep trying and then you keep messing up? Okay, sorry. I guess you all have already got it all figured out, haven't you? But how many of us would say, oh my, I keep doing the same things over and over again. I can't seem to get traction. I keep trying and I keep failing. Let me give you an example. How many of you have heard of these things called New Year's resolutions? As if the date on a calendar will change our ability to do the right things. So we try something new and there within a few weeks or days we fail. Or how many of us go to a doctor and the doctor gives you your long list it's not just one of those little scribble down on a piece of paper, but he's like Santa Claus. He gets his list. Brrr. These are the things you need to do differently to be healthy. And you say, I will do it. This will be different. But then 
You quit. Within a few days or weeks, you're back to the old way. See, the problem is, it doesn't feel like it's finished. Now, the good news is Jesus Christ came and He showed us the way to live. He said, this is what it looks like to live fully human, without sin, without the curse on a soul. This is what it looks like. And this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And this is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like to follow me well. And we go, thank you, Jesus. We now know what it looks like to live until we realize now we know how bad we really are. It's like when you're a kid and you're playing basketball with all your other little kid friends. And then your father comes out and says, how about we play a game? Maybe you had a dad like me. I, my dad's my best buddy. I love him. But his view was that I was going to learn that the world was difficult. Might as well discover that it's not fair at the tender age of five. You take a shot. Next thing you know, the basketball is coming back at your face. See, we thought we were doing well until we saw the perfect standard of Jesus Christ. And we go, it's not just hopeless. I feel hopeless. Yes, Jesus, I feel like I'm finished. Not just that it's finished. I want to give you some good news. You're not the only one to ever feel that way. There's a man named Paul who was, as he called it, the chief of sinners, meaning he was the best of the worst. And in writing this letter to the Romans, Romans, by the way, is the Mount Everest of theology. One of these days, we'll just carve out a decade to go through the book. Because in it, he expresses the gospel that God comes to us, but then he begins to share his own testimony of who he was, how Christ came, how he has become a different person. But then he says in chapter 7, I don't do the things I want to do still. And you know, I try so hard, but I keep doing the things I know I shouldn't do. I don't want to do these things. And you know, the things I don't want to do, those things come very naturally. Those are easy to do. And in exasperation, he says, who will save me from this body of death? Now listen, I don't know if you've used those exact words. But if you've lived long enough, then you and I have each said something similar because we see where we are, we see what we've done, and we see that there's nothing in ourselves that can fix what is broken. The good news then comes when Paul says, who will save me from this body of sin? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He has fought the fight for you. He has defeated the enemy for you. He has taken on sin and sin died. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He has defeated that which you and I were incapable of defeating. And He has now given us His righteousness. So that, hear me now, when God sees you, He does not see your sin. He sees Jesus Christ over you. This is the good news. You have not gone so far as to get away from the grace of Jesus Christ. You have not done so much that God cannot forgive you. You, if you know Jesus Christ, have been forgiven. The old is gone. You are forgiven. It is finished. That's the gift and the promise of this seventh statement from Jesus on the cross. That you and I get to be made new. The problem is too many of you are trying to pay debts you don't owe anymore. Jesus Christ paid it. 
You don't know it. Do you understand how insulting it is to tell him, no, 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 really, really, I'll take it. I know you paid for it, but I'll take it. He says, dear child, I paid it. Stop trying to take back what I took from you. For when I died, I took my sin, took your sin on the cross with me. And when the Father called Jesus out of the tomb, He left your sin there. You don't owe a thing. Receive the grace of Jesus Christ this morning. The good news, it is finished. But the great news of Easter is it doesn't end with it is finished. Matthew, another one of the eyewitnesses and followers of Jesus, tells us as Friday ends with it is finished, he tells us the first words of Easter Sunday when he writes this. At dawn on the first day of the week. By the way, church, what is the first day of the week? Good, 12 of you. Let's try this again. It's not your question. Okay, okay. What is the first day of the week? Sunday. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Why? Because Jesus, they thought, was still dead. But this is what happens. They get there, an angel shows up, freaks them out, but the angel says this, Do not be afraid. Too late. For I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Why? He has risen. Just as he said, Friday ends with it is finished. Easter Sunday begins with he is risen. It is finished and it is just beginning. The good news of Easter is yes, the sin of your life is finished. But he doesn't leave you now without sin and nothing else. He brings you into new life. In fact, the entirety of Scripture is showing God doing his recreative work. This is the moment, by the way, did you know this is the moment that God is actually doing his second creation story? Did did you know that? There are two creation stories in Scripture. Actually, a third if you want to talk about the end of the Bible. Here's what I mean. The Bible begins in this wonderful book. By the way, what's the first book of the Bible, church? Very good, Genesis. Now, if you were a Hebrew reading this in the first century, you would not call it the book of Genesis. You would call it in the beginning because you would identify a book by its first few words. And the first few words of the book of Genesis are, in the beginning, the first creation story begins with those three words. Notice, in the beginning. And the very first thing God does... He says, let there be light. Why? He separates light from darkness to show us what it looks like to live. Live in the light, not in darkness. This is truth. This is lie. This is good. This is evil. And then we're told God centers his creative work in this one place on earth in a garden. How many of us know the name of that garden? What is it? Eden. Do you know what the name Eden means? It means delight. Because God doesn't simply make beautiful things. He makes beautiful things that you will enjoy and delight in. Isn't it good to know that your God wants you to enjoy life? He's not the cosmic killjoy who has his arms crossed because you smiled. He created good things for you to enjoy. So he creates the Garden of Eden. And we're told that the first occupation in all of creation is what? A gardener. How many of you are gardeners? Let's see some proud hands. How many of you played in the dirt sometime over the past couple weeks? Anyone? How many of you played in the dirt but you weren't gardening? How many of you, your plants scream when they see you come? No, don't do that. Okay. So God, the first 
creator, the one who builds it all, the gardener. This is the story of first creation. Now, John, another follower of Jesus, at Jesus' life, begins to piece together this thread to show us that what God began, he is now about to have a second creation. First creation in Genesis, second creation in the Gospel of John. You say, how do we get this? Look at what he does. He is laying breadcrumbs. John chapter 1 verse 1 begins, in the beginning was the word Jesus. And what is the first thing we learn of Jesus? Well, in verse 3, we are told that the light shines in the darkness. Jesus, the light of the world, separating the way the world works and the way God's kingdom works. Live this way, not this way. This is good. This is evil. This is right. This is wrong. This is true. This is falsehood. He is in the beginning bringing light into a dark world. That's not all. Jesus dies on a cross and is buried in a tomb. Question, where is the tomb located? John wants you to see this. So in chapter 19, there was a garden, and in the garden, a tomb. The King of kings, the Creator, is about to start creation again in a garden. Mary Magdalene shows up Easter morning. And she encounters Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's someone else, and she begins this conversation with the resurrected Jesus. But the person she thought that he was, well, we're told, thinking Jesus was the gardener. If only she knew how true that was. The second creation began at Easter. God's work that we broke in creation with our sin and our rebellion. And do not mistake it, friends. Your sin, my sin, have caused what we see broken in this world. We have ruptured the gifts of God. But God in His goodness was not willing to watch as things continued to spiral out of control. He says, I will do something again. And He recreates in the second creation. The good news of Good Friday is it is finished. And the good news of Easter Sunday is it's just beginning. I'm doing something new, and not just for someone out there, but I want to do it for you. This is the gift and the promise of Easter Sunday. This is why the Apostle Paul says the old has gone and the new has come. Is it any wonder that some of the last words in all of Scripture are in the book of Revelation when God, seeing the new heavens and the new earth, the third creation order, when He looks out, He says these words, Behold, I am making all things new. Your past does not have sway over your present, and what I am doing is good and glorious. This is what we get to celebrate today. And so I want to ask you a question. How do you receive this new beginning? Answer, do what Jesus did. Die and be buried. Not physically, but die to your sins. That way is beyond, it's gone, I'm over it. And be buried. Buried, buried how? Romans chapter 5 tells us 
that as we come to faith, once you are at a point that you personally know and personally can choose and personally love God, it is in that moment that you choose to follow Jesus into the waters of baptism. And these waters symbolize your dying to your old self. As you would be covered with dirt, you are now covered with cleansing water. And you come up as Christ came out of the tomb. You come out a new creature. And it's not because of the water. The water has no power, does it, church? No, I know where that water came from. It's not holy water, trust me. But the one we meet in the water, oh, he has all the power to cleanse you. And as you meet him in that moment, he says, dear child, welcome to your new beginning. And so, while it was Jesus's, it is finished. For us, It's just getting started.